coming up on this week's episode of The Doctor's Pharmacy. Aging is something that we can tackle just as we have been tackling cancer and heart disease. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Mark Hyman. Traveling between jobs in Ohio, Massachusetts, and New York, I'm always being asked, how do I get enough high-quality protein in my diet, and where do I find it? Well, with all the conventionally raised animal products available at the supermarket, it's kind of hard to find meat that actually supports your health goals. Instead of taking you away from them, being filled with antibiotics and hormones and all sorts of unnatural stuff. And that's really why I love grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef from ButcherBox. Now, ground beef is probably the most dynamic protein out there, and I love how quickly it makes up a healthy meal without a lot of fuss or muss. Grass-fed beef is also better for the environment and actually can help reverse climate change. So you can feel better about eating it. Now, with ButcherBox, I get 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef delivered right to my doorstep, no matter where I am. And they also offer free-range organic chicken, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, which are also part of my weekly meals too. Now, grass-fed beef is the first protein I recommend for people trying to get more comfortable in the kitchen because you can just throw it in a pan with some sea salt, herbs, spices, and make a great meal. If you use ground beef, it's super easy. My favorite way to cook grass-fed ground beef is by sauteing it with lots of garlic and onions, peppers, cumin, chili powder, oregano, and then tossing over a bed of greens for a super easy homemade taco salad. I mean, just talking about this makes me hungry. Now, if you're looking for a way to get higher quality protein in your own diet, be sure to check out the grass-fed beef from ButcherBox. Now, along with all their other humanely raised meats that are never given antibiotics and hormones, they make eating well really easy, delicious, and super accessible, and I love it. Now, through September 30th, 2019, new subscribers to ButcherBox are gonna receive ground beef for life. That's right, sign up today, and ButcherBox will send you two pounds of 100% grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef free in every box for the life of your subscription. Plus, listeners are going to get an additional $20 off their first box. To receive this limited time offer of two pounds of 100% grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef free in every box for the life of your subscription, plus $20 off your first box, go to butcherbox.com forward slash pharmacy. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y. Again, go to butcherbox.com forward slash pharmacy for the special offers from ButcherBox. All right, let's dive into today's show. Welcome to the Doctor's Pharmacy. This is Dr. Mark Hyman. That's pharmacy with an F, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, a place for conversations to matter. And today's conversation, I think, will matter to a lot of you because it's about aging. And we have one of the world's experts on aging here, Dr. David Sinclair from Harvard, who I've known for well over a decade, and we're both getting younger together. Every time I see him, huh. he's got basically less wrinkles and he has no gray hair and he's over 50. I don't know what he's doing, but I want to, I want to know. We're going to find out. Um, David is the professor in the Department of Genetics and co-director of the Paul F. Glenn Center for the Biology of Aging at Harvard Medical School. And he and his colleagues study longevity and aging and how to slow down that process, which sounds good to me as I'm approaching my 60th year. More specifically, they're focused on studying sirtuins, which are these protein-modifying enzymes that respond to changing levels of something called 
NAD, which is a very important molecule we're going to learn about today, and to caloric restriction when you're eating less. Now, I don't think that's fun, so we're going to find a way around that, right? Is that, is that true? And uh, he looks at other factors around aging, like metabolism, neurodegeneration, cancer, how to reprogram your cells, which sounds good to me. He's the co-creator and co-chief editor of the journal Aging, and he's co-founded several biotech companies and is inventor of 35 patents, like Thomas Edison over here. <laughs> he's among... Um, one of the most uh, revered scientists out there. He's been included in Time Magazine's list of 100 most influential people in the world and Time's top 50 in healthcare. He's also the author of a book called Lifespan, The Revolutionary Science of Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To, which is out September 2019. So it's uh, really great to have you here, David. Thanks, Marcus. Good to see you too. Okay, so I, I first really got interested in the whole science of aging when i went to this conference i don't even know if you were there it was uh with the dalai lama it was at uh robert thurman uma thurman's dad's uh place up in um at Mendeley retreat in upstate new york and there was all these tibetan doctors and the dalai lama but all these extraordinary scientists people like elizabeth blackburn who studies telomeres mm -hmm. and leonard guarte who was one of your mentors at mm -hmm. mit who studied aging and I remember just sort of walking down the field with Leonard and saying, so what is the deal with aging? Why do we age? And essentially, and, and how do these sirtuins work and what's driving them and how do they get regulated? And what he said to me was, shouldn't have been surprising, but it was kind of surprising. It was like sugar, like sugar is the thing that's screwing up our aging process and our mitochondria. And that's what actually causes these sirtuins not to function the way they should. And I thought, wow, that's fascinating. And uh, it sort of got me thinking about the whole process of aging. And then um, I was watching one of your interviews online and uh, you, you, you mentioned that you are um, obviously studying aging, but you're, you're also looking at your own aging. And you mm -hmm. did some tests that indicated that you were older than you actually were chronologically. And then you did some things and you actually found that you were younger than you were chronologically. So how did that work? What just let's start with your own journey of how do you actually made yourself younger? Well, yeah, because <laughs> you're the guy who knows about this stuff. Uh, well, I, I got to say, you're turning 60. I wouldn't have thought so. So whatever you're doing, keep yeah, doing I mean, that. And look at him. He's like awesome looking. Uh, well, so and this is the book Lifespan. <laughs> Thanks. Which is an awesome book. Well, that this is a, a download of my brain into that book uh, of everything that I've thought about over the last 25, 30 years. Mm. Uh, in terms of my age, you know, this is not a clinical trial, so I'm not going to be publishing these data anytime soon. N of one is good. N of one. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when, when you're on the cutting edge of science, you start with an N of one. All science mm. begins that way. Um, so what I did was uh, I uh, went to a, a company uh, that does blood tests. Should I mention their name? Doesn't okay. matter to me. Uh, Inside Tracker, I'm a consultant to them if anyone wants to know. And they have a, a, a five-factor uh, blood test that uh, goes with proven correlates for longevity. So glucose, ferment, testosterone, liver function, uh, CRP. Um, there might be one thing I'm missing, but those things uh, add up Looking to- at blood sugar, inflammation, Definitely liver, blood you know. sugar is a major thing for aging. Yeah. Uh, actually- yeah one of the best predictors of your lifespan is your blood fasting blood sugar yeah so yeah it does and by the way not back. not within the normal range it should be optimal right so if, if we consider normal up to 100 but if you're going get up to 100 it's not good right oh yeah we, we could get into that uh, i i find it crazy that a, a lot a lot of times we don't treat high blood sugar until it's too late yeah anyway so the so what i did was i, I had my blood tested and i i've been doing it since 2011 i've seen 
things creep up as I got older. Uh, and at the time I was 48 when I had mm. this test, mm. uh, when I got a real shock that it said that I was 58. Oh, wow. Ostensibly. For the the aging researcher to be 10 years older. Not a good look. Is, it's not a good situation. Yeah, right. Right. I, I, I'm worried I might die from a heart attack and everyone will go, okay. I'm writing this book about lifespan, but I'm actually like way older than I look. Right. That would be bad. So uh, I did a couple of things. Um, I started taking uh, metformin, actually. So this is mm. the, many people will know this is the frontline therapy for type 2 diabetes. Yes. And I felt justified doing that for two reasons. One is... I'm a scientist. I can see what happens. Um, it's fairly safe drug. Uh, we can talk about its safety, but millions of people have tried yeah. it. Uh, and uh, I also have high blood sugar in my family, mm. and it was edging up. So my father's on it. My grandmother was on it. So figured, why not start before it gets out of control? So that was the science part of me. Uh, and then I also, um, well, I, I saw my age come down a little bit a few months after that. Mm. It wasn't great. It was better. Yeah, I came. So I started out at 58 and I was yeah. a bit worried. Well, came down to about 57, 56, as I recall. Not that great. <laughs> no, no, it's still, still not good. So I went on uh, uh, the molecule that we were studying in the lab, which we were giving to mice and we could see was improving their health and making them run further. And as far as we could tell, reversing some aspects of aging, particularly mm. in muscle. And I started taking it um, again, just as an experiment, not mm. as a as a clinical trial. And Next time I measured it, again, a few months later, it went down to uh, 31.4. Amazing. So you're now older, but younger. <laughs> well, it was a good day. I, my wife would tell you I, I was running around showing her the graph going, look at this, independent studies show I'm younger. And, uh, and it, it stayed down. And um, But one thing that happened was with combination of these two things, I wasn't as hungry. I lost a bit of weight, about mm-hmm. seven pounds, which certainly wouldn't have hurt. Mm. Um but one thing about the, this inside tracker thing and other things such as I noticed you've, I think that's the same ring aura as I've got. Ring, yeah. The aura ring, when you've got data in front of you every day, you think more about it yeah. and you can react. And, and before I would never know what was going on if I did something to my body. Yeah, now they have these continuous glucose monitors. Yeah, right? yeah and that, that biofeedback, the biotracking as we call it, um, it's beneficial in, in nothing more, if, if nothing more, just gives you more clarity about how you're doing and more mindfulness. We know more about our cars than we know about our bodies, actually, with all the sensors, over 100 sensors in our cars. How many do we have on our bodies? Yeah. Eventually, we'll have many more. So it's fascinating. You know, one of the things that we uh, think about in terms of aging is that this, it's this inevitable and process that goes in one direction. And you're challenging that idea. You're saying maybe what we see as aging isn't actually healthy aging, it's abnormal aging. And then it it's really a, based on a series of biological dysfunctions that we can understand and we can modify through either diet yeah. or lifestyle or maybe nutri- nutrients that we take or supplements. Right. Well, um, why, why not? First of all, just philosophically, let's talk about that. Um, is aging a condition? Well, I believe it is. I think you could argue, I make the argument in the book that um, disease is something that happens over time that's deleterious, reduces function. Uh, if it happens to less than 50% of the population, if it mm-hmm. happens to 51%, <laughs> we call that aging and it's arbitrary. Yeah. And the mere fact that it happens to most of us, um, if we live long enough and if we're lucky enough, doesn't mean it's any less important. In fact, I would argue it's more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the, one of the, the things that I'm, I'm very keen on explaining to everybody is that 
that aging is something that we can tackle just as we have been tackling cancer and heart mm-hmm. disease. And this inevitability, uh, cancer is inevitable if you live long enough. So is heart disease. So is dementia. The longer you live, the more chance you'll get it. Okay. But not inevitable. Well, I would say every disease of aging is inevitable as long as you live long enough. Right? So you don't, you have to die of something? You can't For just sure. die of old age? Uh, well, something <laughs> has to go wrong. But what is the driver of all of those diseases? Yeah. Yeah. Science says it's aging. You, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a teenager, you don't get Alzheimer's, you don't get cancer. Mm-hmm. And we don't often think why that is. <clears throat> but the most important factor, by a factor of 100 or more, is the aging process. <clears throat> So if you can keep the body younger and functioning like it did when we're in our 20s, you're, you're literally not going to get heart disease. You're not going to get Alzheimer's. Yeah. And as we learn more and more about how to reverse not just the effects of aging, but actual the age of cells themselves, I believe we, we will be able to prevent in large part these diseases because we've r- removed the largest cause of these diseases. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, what you said is sort of implying that there's common root causes of all these diseases we see with aging, then if we focus on those root causes, that we can modify the trajectory of all those diseases and we don't have to treat all of them independently. Right. Well, I, I call it whack-a-mole medicine the way we do it now, yeah, which is fine. Um, you know, I think anybody who focuses on medicine and research um, is doing a great service to, to the world. I do think we can have a big impact if we can find out what's driving all those diseases. And, and it's not intuitive unless you're in the field that what's driving those diseases that we all see in our families, there's something common. And yeah. actually in the book, I have a, a theory that explains why or what is the underlying cause of mm-hmm. all the diseases that we get mm-hmm. as we get older. And not just all the diseases, wrinkles yeah. and gray hair and all yeah. of that stuff. It's all the same. I believe it's all the same process that can not just be slowed down, but even reversed. Well, this is such a radical shift in thinking in medicine, right? In, in traditional medicine, you've got your diseases and they're all separate and dementia is different from heart disease, different from right. diabetes, different from cancer, different from, you know, all these hypertension, right? They're all separate illnesses. In in functional medicine, we think about the body as a system and it's having a few common root causes and a few key systems that when they function well, disease doesn't have a chance, right? So whether it's the mitochondria, which you've been studying when you're talking about the powerhouse of the cell, or whether it's inflammation and your immune system, or whether it's your microbiome, or whether it's your hormonal regulation, these are all connected. And and the key to solving the puzzle of disease and aging is really understanding these common links, right? Well, that that's why I think we hit it off over a decade ago, is that I'd, I'd rarely met a doctor who talks like you do. <laughs> more and more are, but uh, it, it really, it's it's been missing. And I yeah. teach medicine at Harvard Medical School, yeah. Uh, for what that's worth. And the way we teach it is treat the symptom, not treat the cause. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, and so in aging, it seems like there's things that happen. Uh, and, and, and I want to get into why, but we see increase in inflammation and in aging. We see a decrease in mitochondrial function, which are these energy cells. So we lose energy. Basically, our engine gets the carburetor gets full of whatever and it doesn't work. We see hormonal changes, lower testosterone, higher cortisol, lower growth hormone, increased insulin, increased blood sugar. We see changes in the microbiome that degrade over time. We see changes in in our ability to sort of metabolize things and toxins. Uh, these are all these are all things that we can understand now with the science we have, which we couldn't even a few decades ago. It's it's what we've been doing in functional medicine without really understanding that much of the science because it's all emerging. But you your work has really started out with looking at the mitochondria as a key to aging, and that has sort of led you to some of these other linkages, right? 
Well, mitochondria, um, I didn't set out to study mitochondria. It's our, our research pointed in that direction that they were part of the puzzle. Mm. We started out when I was with Leonard Garenti, you mentioned my former mentor and still friend. Uh, we, we started out with the question, why do organisms grow old in the first place? Simple question. Very few people had actually asked it. <laughs> and uh, so we studied yeast cells from, you know, bakers and brewers use it all the time. Why do yeast cells not live forever? And they typically live a week. We actually found out that these genes that you mentioned, sirtuins, are regulators of yeast aging. And we have seven of these genes in our bodies and they do f- phenomenal things. They repair DNA, help telomeres. And l- one of the things we found they do very well is keep the mitochondria healthy. Mm-hmm. And actually we found what was surprising was how reversible the aging of mitochondria are in animals at least. And we're yeah. now doing human studies and clinical trials that within just a week of treatment with a molecule that or a few molecules that we've tested that enhance the function of sirtuins. Resveratrol was a famous one we, we worked on. Now NAD boosters all seem to be able to reverse mitochondrial dysfunction within days. Yeah. And we never knew that aging was that malleable mm-hmm. until then. Yeah, I mean, we, we see it all the time. I see it in you know, treating patients where their literally biology can reverse at any time. You know, you see people who are in their 60s who have all these end-stage diseases like heart failure and diabetes and severe obesity and hypertension and kidney failure. And you see these things go away when you start to modify these factors that drive inflammation and blood sugar and mitochondria. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, there have been a few paradigm shifts in the field. So when I started out, and this is, we're talking about the early 1990s, the idea was uh, our bodies are like cars. We eventually wear out. There's not much you can do about it. You can slow down the rusting, free radicals, and that's about it. But what we discovered in the 90s, thanks to works by Cynthia Kenyon and Lenny Garanti and, and others, is that these genes, sirtuins, and there are some others we can talk about later, I think, uh, but these, these protective pathways exist. We didn't know that we had protective pathways. It's mm-hmm. as though we've discovered the not just that our bodies are better than cars, that we actually have inbuilt repair systems yeah it's like, like a body shop. like a self-cleaning uh, oven right yeah <laughs> and and they get they get lazy if you if you're lazy they get lazy if you become obese and don't eat well and if you eat too much um there are other things you can do to kick them into action with how you eat what you eat but also what we found is that that you can that they're basically inbuilt survival mechanisms that are very ancient they're found in yeast cells and plants in our bodies probably our microbiome mm-hmm. plays a role mm-hmm. uh and that so we can we can basically make a, a call to the to the Pentagon of the body and they can send out the troops without actually damaging the body. No, you don't have to have a war to get ready for war. Mm. And these protect us against diseases and in many cases reverse aspects of aging. Another paradigm shift was that we could delete the, the bad cells in the body, the senescent cells that accumulate. And there are some molecules in, in clinical trials as well that might be paradigm shifting. How do you delete those? Well, they're, they're called senolytics, uh, senescent Lytics, lytic meaning lice, the cells kill them. Yeah. And there are molecules that can do that. There are some natural molecules, quercetin, uh, quercetin from onions and apples. Yeah. Uh, Desatinib's a, a drug on, on the market. We, uh, we, well, actually work at the Mayo Clinic primarily and Judy Campisi out at the Buck Institute found that uh, you can treat animals and delete their senescent cells and they get younger. So you basically like go in and like uh, clean up all the bad cells. Yeah, we call these the zombie cells, uh, senescent cells, <laughs> zombie cells. They, they, they're, they're half dead. They sit there. They should be dead, but they, they're actually causing havoc. They're, they're secreting inflammation mm-hmm. factors, cytokines that cause other cells to senesce and to become um, potentially cancerous. Mm. And when you delete them, uh, 
mice live longer. And what's exciting about that technology, that science, is you can, instead of taking a pill every day, which is the kind of stuff that I work on, if their stuff works, you can have a treatment once every decade, maybe, and that's it. And the treatment is a drug? Is it a it supplement? It's like quercetin, you said? Well, you, you can supplement. There's nothing fully proven in humans yet. Uh, there are some early su- studies from the Mayo Clinic. Um, just this year, a study in humans came out that was promising from mm. Jim Kirkland. Uh, but in mice, a lot of studies now point to this being a phenomenal way to address aging. So you had kind of different pathways you can work on at the same time, right? You can work on the killing all the bad aging cells and you can work on optimizing and revving up your engines or like tuning up your engine. Well, we're in a remarkable time for aging because we've moved from just understanding what's causing it and how we might intervene to truly understanding what can be done. And now we're in a a phase where the question is, what are the right combinations of diet, exercise, food, supplements, and eventually drugs that are on their way? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I mentioned two paradigm shifts. There's a third one that maybe we can touch on later. Yeah. Um, and that's reprogramming cells and with an understanding of actually what's controlling the clock of aging and how to wind it back. Because you're, you're saying, you know, this limit of 100 years or 120 is not necessarily a hard stop, that there, there may be ways of understanding the aging process that we can interrupt that. Well, there are plenty of animals and certainly species across the planet that live longer than we do. It's not a biological impossibility to live hundreds, actually thousands of years. There's even some corals that live for 10,000 years. So it's it's not a fact of life that we have to die at 120. Uh, if you remove predators and war and disease, species evolve longer lifespans. It's happening right now on a Japanese island where a lizard was released and it's got no predators. It's breeding slower and living longer. That's what happens and give us a few more. It doesn't, it doesn't actually just, it sits there in the sun all day, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we don't have, we, we, you know, we don't have to necessarily live at the bottom of the ocean, like a Greenland shark or on mm. a rock. But what, what these organisms show us is that life, lifespan is malleable. It changes mm. over millions of years, sometimes in the course of a few generations, as we're seeing with this lizard, what is happening? That's what we, I want to figure out. What is it about those organisms that we can learn from? And instead of letting us evolve, having to wait for us to evolve over millions of years, mm. why don't we just accelerate is this that? Is gene editing or is this going to involve more of these other kinds uh, of therapies? I touch on gene editing in the book. In my lab, we're, we're using gene therapy to kind of leapfrog uh, and really see how powerful our genome can be. Mm-hmm. We're having some remarkable results in mice and truly reversing the clock of aging and seeing what can happen. And mm. uh, you know, maybe maybe I'll, tell, I'll reveal that later. Okay, it's fascinating. I, I, uh, I have an APOE2 gene and a three, which is two is like the ones who can live forever, drink, smoke, and not exercise right. and live to 120. And then the four is the bad one, you get Alzheimer's. So how do I like change my three out for a two? Can I do that? Can I get a double two? It'll, it'll be possible. <laughs> where, where we're at with gene therapy is, so there are a couple of drugs on the market that are used for rare diseases because that's usually where new technologies are mm-hmm. first used. Uh, you know, there, there are scientists who could probably do this to themselves if they were crazy right now. The technology is there. Where we're not at, the science doesn't, doesn't allow us to change every cell in the body right now. Mm-hmm. Even in a mouse where we've been studying this longer, um, and my lab does this every few weeks in, in the lab. The problem is we can infect about 30% of the cells and it infects and changes the genes in some more organs more than others. Yeah. So it's very easy to change most of the cells in the liver, yeah. but not so much in the muscle and the brain. 
And you only get one or two shots at it because an adenovirus, which is what carries the gene therapy, causes an inflammatory response. Right, that's not good. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, I'm not not planning on doing that anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, But if I had a rare disease and it was going to kill me or I was 95 and I had nothing else to lose, maybe I'd consider it. Unbelievable. So the whole goal here isn't just to extend lifespan, right? It's to expand, extend health span, right? Which is how long sure. uh, vibrant years you have. And uh, there, there's a lot of thinking that if, well, if we extend lifespan, there's going to be a lot of old people who are going to be sick and cost the system money and drain this, you know, our society. And that's not a great thing. And yet there are others that sort of pointed to research that maybe that's not the case, that if we figure out how to create health, that we can do what we call rectangularize the survival curve. James mm-hmm. Fries wrote about this decades ago, where he talked about how people who didn't smoke, who exercise and kept a normal body weight, live longer and were healthier and just didn't get sick. They just basically fell off the cliff and died as opposed to long, slow, painful deaths. They died quickly, painlessly, and cheaply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what the science is pointing to. And in my lab, we see that a lot. When we intervene with a molecule, uh, we see those mice, they are healthier for longer. And actually, you know, when, when I talk to people about living longer and I ask how long do people want to live, a typical answer is, oh, I wouldn't want to live over 100 because people have seen what a 100-year-old looks decrepit, like. Right. It, you know, God forbid that we get there. But what changes their minds is what if you could be 100 and still play tennis and mm-hmm. hang out with your great-grandkids and still be productive? Mm-hmm. You don't have to be earning a living. You can be helping the community, nonprofit work. And then everyone raises their hand pretty yeah. much. Um, so it's all about health. And that's the key point. Um, I want everybody to know that I don't know how to extend lifespan without keeping people healthy. In fact, the reason... That's how you do it. That's how we do it. That's the only way we can extend lifespan is to keep animals and eventually people free of disease for longer. And then eventually something gives out fairly quickly, typically. And that's the idea. Someone like my father, who's 80 now and still traveling the world and going out every night and Hanging out girlfriend 20 years younger and <laughs> well yeah multiple uh friends multiple who are girlfriend. girls i don't know if they're girlfriends but but that's a life that that i think is is well lived and mm-hmm. if he can keep going and helping my family and his community which he's doing for another 10 or 20 years the the economics show and we've modeled this for australia we've done some yep. others have done this for the uk gdp goes up it's not that there's a drain at all in fact the the amount of healthcare. It's 17% of GDP right now in the U.S. It's only going to keep going up. The reason is we're getting older and sicker. Mm-hmm. And the last 10 years of life can be spent um, in, in wheelchairs and not going outside and being spoon-fed. I've seen that with my grandmother. So my father's mother at 80 could barely walk. She was in a wheelchair, spent the last 10, 13 years of her life in a state that you wouldn't wish on your enemies. Mm-hmm. And the expense to keep her alive was ridiculous. My father, on the other hand, he's contributing. Yep. You know, what, that's, that's what I talk about in the book is that the future is bright if we can tackle this problem, keep people healthy for longer. Yeah. The problem is if we don't succeed, we, are, we have an issue too. The world's economy is going to be dragged down by all the sick elderly people that are coming along. It's true. I just read a, a study the other day that was a macroeconomic analysis of chronic disease. Just the United States, the direct and indirect costs over 35 years, it's $95 trillion with a T. Mm. That's over $3 trillion a year. And if we figured out how to fix that, we literally have money for everything we need in this country. Infrastructure, free education, forgiveness of student loans, free health care for everybody. Uh, yeah. Basic, you know, raising everybody out of poverty. I mean, it just would be a game changer, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you, I couldn't have said it better. One of the things that 
that people challenge me on. They say, why work on aging? Don't we have more important problems? Global warming, species extinction. I'm all for that. I'm the biggest greenie and, and you know, I was going to be an <laughs> animal rights activist if it wasn't working on aging. But I think the best way to tackle the problems we have is actually first solve the biggest drain on the planet, which is taking care of the sick and the elderly. Yeah. And then, like you said, there's trillions of dollars. If we could uh, just reduce one disease of aging by 10%, it's about $3 trillion over the next decade. We're talking about a lot more than that. And that's money you can use to, to, to fix the world. And your thinking is actually the thinking that I think can solve the problem. Because in medicine, most of the thinking is focused on disease. You're focused on the mechanisms of health. Well, and sure. I mean, it's, imp it's important to know why people die. And we have a list of 14,000 diseases in yeah. there. Well, it's the 155,000. Yeah, but, but, but <laughs> knowing why people yeah. fall off a cliff, I would argue it, it's also just as important, if not more important, to know what drove them to the cliff in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so let's get down in deep a little bit. So the, the thing you're working on now is, is similar to what you're working on around resveratrol, which is the active ingredient in red wine. Um, except, you know, the equivalent amount of dose you'll use, I think was like 1,500 bottles of red wine. So it's not something people should try at home. Yeah. <laughs> but you, you've, because that worked on sirtuins, it worked on mitochondria, but now you're working on a different mechanism, which has to do with, with increasing the uh, function and health um, of mitochondria using a compound that helps increase NAD. Now, can you explain what NAD is, a little bit about why mitochondria are important? Yeah. And be before you do, I just want to sort of back up a little and say that all the studies on aging that have shown any benefit to increase lifespan in animals have all been often through calorie restriction, which means you eat less, like two-thirds, a third less, you live a third longer. And, and also new things like fast and mimicking diets are being studied and other things related to calorie restriction. Now that, that apparently affects the mitochondria. That's how it works. And that's really what you're trying to figure out. How do you get around having to starve yourself all the time? Yeah. Right? Well, a large part of it is mitochondria. Um, they do other things, which we can touch on. Mm. Prob they probably do a hundred things that, yeah. that we'll, we're still working on. Um, let's go back to yeast, because I think that's a good uh, framework. In When we started in yeast, we didn't know why they were dying. We figured that out. It's mainly genome instability that, that affects their cell identity and then they die. Discovering the sirtuins was a game changer because what we, we figured out was um, there are three levels to aging. Um, there's the base level, which is the things that kill you. Uh, DNA damage, telomere shortening, mitochondrial dysfunction. Mm. Okay, That was pretty much worked out in the 90s. Then there was a level above that, that there were these regulators of aging. The sirtuins are major regulators. and, and But then in the 2000s, my lab and others found there was this top layer, which yeah. is the environment. And when the environment is a little bit harsh, adversity or even perceived adversity, it kicks these protectors into action and then, then they slow down or reverse these causes of aging. So think of it as a hierarchy pyramid. Yeah. So what you want to do is start at the top. So how do you trick the body into thinking that it's going to run out of food or that there's some other adversity? And we found in yeast cells, if you reduce the amount of sugar, getting back to sugar, <laughs> uh, they kicked into action the sirtuins. Um, talk about how they did that in a minute. And then the yeast cells lived longer. They mm. protected the DNA, they boosted mitochondria, and they lived longer. Wait, I just want to pause here. So sugar, you're saying, accelerates aging, and restricting sugar actually helps increase longevity in these Well, f certainly for yeast and a lot of data on humans that lower sugar is better and fasting blood sugar is lower is better too mm -hmm. for longevity. But there are other ways to yeah. kick the sirtuins into action. 
so there's in humans, um, intermittent fasting is is easier, I find, than calorie restriction. I tried calorie restriction for a week. It was pretty yeah. hard. I, I met a guy once who's, uh, I said he's doing calorie restriction and he was a member of the Calorie Restriction Society. I said, what do you have for breakfast? I have five pounds of celery and three pounds of tomatoes. And I'm like, uh, no, thank you. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, eating is one of life's pleasures, um, but I find uh, if, for me, if, if I skip breakfast, it's no big deal. Yeah. Right, so intermittent yeah. fasting is basically time-restricted eating where you eat within a certain time window of eight hours or or 10 hours, right? Yeah, there, there are plenty of varieties. Uh, I talk about them in the book. There are some other books that talk about that. Um, you've mentioned this many times on your show. The, there are some uh, skip-a-meal protocols. They skip two days a week. Yeah. There are some people, uh, Peter Atiyah's doing skip-a-week of food. He says after three days, magical things happen, he thinks. Uh, I haven't tried that yet, but I'm going to. Uh, but yeah, th- no one knows actually what the optimal amount of fasting is. But what I can tell you is some uh, time of being hungry is good. Um, we can see that in our animals. There's no question. If we give our animals, our mice, food every other day, they live longer. Um, and in fact, if we gave them resveratrol and the combination of eating other every other day, we got some very long-lived mice and the combination was great. So that's one of the things I do to myself is give, have resveratrol and try to be hungry once in a while. Yeah, that's what the, uh, the Okinawans do. They call it Hachibu, which is 80% full. So you push yourself away from the table when you're 80% full. There's a lot to that, for sure. You know, having a lot of, of food and glucose in your bloodstream, just not a good thing. Um, so getting back to how to mimic uh, this, mimic exercise and diet, you can do it in, in yeast. You can do it in mice by either taking resveratrol. Um, we showed that was one of the ways to activate sirtuin enzyme that protects the the body but we have something that's i think more interesting now which is the nad molecule you mentioned so nad let me tell you what that is uh anyone who's studied biology will have heard of nad but probably forgotten about it because it's so boring cycle (laughs) yeah it's 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 the molecule that nobody really wants to care about yeah Yeah, what we discovered uh is that it isn't just a housekeeping molecule if for biochemical reactions Germans discovered 100 years ago you needed it for life. Without it, we're dead in 30 seconds. But what became interesting was in, uh, thanks to Lenny's work when I was in his lab and then later in my lab, we showed that the NAD levels of an organism are important for controlling the sirtuin protective enzymes. And as they get lower, they're not as active. Mm -hmm. And if you can get them higher, either artificially or by exercising or dieting, they get kicked into action. We get the benefits of calorie restriction and exercise without actually having to do those things. And the but they're I added. Don't, to, I don't. That's a good message. To no, <laughs> I was going to add to that, which is. But Have if you add them too, together, is that it? <laughs> well, we we just published last year, actually, in the journal Cell, that if you have a mouse and you give it an NAD boosting molecule and you exercise, then they become super mice and they can run okay, beyond. Okay, that's good. So you, it's a it's a it's a lot of added value if you eat well and exercise. Oh, definitely. Because I, I remember reading original studies way back when, and I was like, wow, these mouse. Were, these mice were eating terrible diets and they were metabolically younger. They were fitter and they didn't do any exercise. I'm like, whoa. But then I was like, wait a minute, it's 1,500 bottles of red wine. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the resveratrol study, we, we did show that you could you could live, make a mouse live just as long on a high-fat diet um, as, as a healthy mouse uh, with resveratrol in the diet. But I don't want to send the message that that's all you have to do and you'll be fine. No, definitely. Uh, there's, there's other things that, that go wrong and we're not mice after all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel better if, you, if you're 
healthier anyway, right? Um, so anyway, getting back to the NAD, NAD yeah. we, we can raise NAD in, in everything from a yeast to a human by giving them what are called NAD boosters. And these are either NAD itself or precursor molecules to, to allow the body to make NAD. The one that we use a lot in my lab is called NMN, nicotinamide mononucleotide is its real name. And the cell cells in the body take it up. There's a transporter. They get sucked up into cells and they immediately convert it into NAD. And we can see that there's a spike of NAD produced after NMN after about two to three hours. And then it eventually goes back down. But what we are seeing, especially in mice where we can take out tissues, uh, look at tissues and blood, is that uh, that has phenomenal effects on the body's protective mechanisms through, largely through the sirtuins and mitochondrial activity. Mm. So on the market, there's a lot of these products out there that are being sold as NAD or some varieties of them, combining them with resveratrol. And, yeah. um, is it ready for prime time? Should people be running out and getting this stuff or is the data not there? I mean, is there clinical studies? Uh, there, are, there are a few clinical studies. Um, so let Lenny Garenti and I, he's my mentor, we took two different paths. And I can only guess why I think one was that Lenny's uh, I think 15 years older than me and clinical trials take about a decade. So yeah. he was in more of a rush than I was. So he's gone the supplement route and decided to use that supplement to test in clinical trials. And he's just had a, a paper that came out, I think yesterday in Parkinson's that looks really promising that Parkinson's patients do better on his um, combination of an, another NAD, boost, NAD booster called NR, which you can buy, and uh, a resveratrol analog called Terostilbene. Yeah. Now, that's actually one of the first studies, if not the first, that says that there's some positive benefits in people. Yeah. There have been quite a few safety studies, and so far everything looks safe. Uh, but well, we, I, we I know I that just mitochondria are the, yeah. the main organelles or the things that get injured in Parkinson's, and that mitochondria is exactly. really the, the, the cause of Parkinson's. And right. since when the mitochondria aren't working well, you can't have proper motor function because yeah. it runs your muscles. And they're easily damaged by toxins and other things. So using something that helps upregulate. And I've had patients where I've given them NAD and their Parkinson's tremors get better. It's Fantastic. impressive. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I hope that this is the, the first glimmer that this is a really big change in how we can approach many diseases, not just Parkinson's. Um, the, so Lenny took the supplement route. I'm taking the pharmaceutical route. Um, they're both going to be complementary. There's no mm -hmm. right way. Yeah. We, we have clinical studies that are uh, just finishing up phase one at Harvard where things look good, we can raise NAD in humans and um, no sign of toxic effects. Our plan is to next year, early next year, go into diseases where mitochondrial are dysfunctional. Yeah, we know, for example, in diabetes, half of, of, of primary relatives of, of type two diabetics, yeah. like, you know, it's on their daughter, brother, sister, they have a 50% function of their mitochondria, even if they're quote healthy. Yeah. So there's genetic things that regulate mitochondrial function that, that can be inherited, but then can be modified through some of these approaches. Well, they can. And going back to the mouse studies, we, we could we showed, I think, 2013 now, that within a week we could make old dysfunctional mitochondria fun function and appear exactly like a young animal's mitochondria in their muscle. And to me, that was remarkable because we were told that mitochondrial dysfunction was largely due to my mutations that were yeah. irreversible. Yeah. And that we can find mutations. There's no question about that. Very late in life in a mouse and, and in humans, they exist. But if you catch it early enough, and in the case of a mouse, it was about the age equivalent of a 60-year-old, we could turn a 60-year-old equivalent mouse back to a 20, 30-year-old within a week. 
And to me, that that defied all everything that we expected. Yeah, it's true. You know, I, I first became interested in mitochondria because mine stopped working. <laughs> really? Yeah, I I had um, about twenty five years ago. I lived in China and I got exposed to a lot of mercury, and came back and got very sick uh, from the mercury, and and it caused severe muscle damage. And my muscle enzymes CBK was like 600, which is really high. And I had muscle fasciculations and twitching and aching and pain. And I had severe chronic fatigue and my system just shut down. I went from like riding my bike hundred miles a day to not being able to walk up the stairs. My cognitive function basically was like, I felt like I was severely impaired. I had ADD and depression and dementia all at once. It was really right. bad. And so I began to sort of learn about functional medicine and mitochondria and started treating myself by actually upregulating all my mitochondrial pathways and all the cofactors and nutrients and removing the mercury. And I've used this approach in my, and it made me get better. My numbers are great and I feel good. And I see this a lot of my patients who have sort of these weird sort of mitochondrial problems. Well, my wife has this. So if she goes for a walk or aerobic exercise, she'll feel crappy afterwards. And there's a syndrome of patients who just, when they exercise, they don't get the runners high, they don't feel good, and they feel tired and wiped out and have to take a nap. And so I started to say, well, why don't we just try to give you a mitochondrial cocktail? So I gave her a whole bunch of things, including NAD, CoQ10, carnitine, ribose, mm -hmm. some amino acids, uh, B vitamins, uh, I don't know, something else maybe. <laughs> and, uh, and she would do that before she'd go for a walk, and no problem. And I've seen this over and over again. So I think, you know, it's it's a lot of these things that we have to think about, not just sort of one pathway, right? Yeah. Well, what's been amazing to me is that we, yeah, we used to think aging and, and these diseases were one-way streets, and we were lucky if a medicine could help and slow down the disease. But what you're saying and what I've learned is our bodies are remarkably good at healing. Yeah. Better than we thought, as long as you just tweak them the right way. And, and we're at that point in medicine and history where we, we have a fundamental understanding. It's not perfect. We have a lot more to do. Future generations will look at us and think of us as primitive, but we do have the the tools right now to be able to change a lot of our disease um, processes and our aging processes as well. It doesn't surprise me that this is happening. With my father, he was going downhill. He was approaching 80. He was seeing his friends go downhill. He started taking the NMN and, and saw, in his view, the same thing we saw in the mice. What we saw was... It wasn't just mitochondria going up. We actually found that the muscle started growing new capillaries or capillaries as though they were being exercised. And so his you blood speak American flow, and Australian? I try. <laughs> I try. You, you've got a global audience, so may as well. Sometimes when I'm watching these English shows with my wife, she's from New Zealand, I literally have to pause the show and say, what did they say? And she's like, we're watching The Crown. And, you know, I'm like, what did she say? <laughs> she, like, translates. And then I'm like, okay. Right. <laughs> or Game of Thrones. Like, what did he say? <laughs> yeah, well, st stop me if, if I'm unintelligible. No, you're good. You're good. You've been here a long time. <laughs> so one of, one of the things that, that is remarkable is, is so we, one of the things I've I found is that aging is also caused by a lack of blood flow. So you have buildup of toxins, lack of oxygen and by in, inducing mitochondria to get them healthy and give them more energy more of the ability to take in the nutrients and get rid of the toxins in mice it's remarkable in people we think we'll be able to uh, mm -hmm. give them a lot more vitality if my father's any indication of what we're going to see it's going to be remarkable we haven't tested it on vascular dementia but 
I'm hopeful that this could be a way around that too. Well, I've seen data somehow on, on Alzheimer's and NAD too, right? And amyloid. Yeah, there's some, at least in mice, do you know of any human results? Yeah, yeah no, in, in mice, yeah. yeah. No, pretty exciting. So does NAD also affect inflammation? Does it affect glucose mm -hmm. and blood sugar? And how does it work to those other mechanisms that are so central to aging? Yeah, so the sirtuins do a lot. They control blood sugar, they control liver and, and the pancreas and the muscle. Um, so they do a lot. And often people say, this sounds too good to be true, but it's not just my lab. It's now hundreds of people working on this. On the blood sugar side of things, that was shown way back in 2012 by Shin M.I. at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, so yeah, it does reduce blood sugar. It controls the pancreas out, um, insulin levels. It controls uptake of, of blood sugar. On inflammation, we know a little less about that, but my lab has done a fair bit. Uh, we haven't published a lot, but we find that uh, as macrophages, one of the, the main inflammatory cells in the body, as they become hyperinflammatory, um, they move into that stage. That requires NAD. And mm -hmm. if, if you control that um, and don't prevent and, con and prevent them from chewing up their NAD, which they need to to convert into the inflammatory state, we suppress inflammation. So what we're finding is that if we give them our NAD booster or we block them from chewing up their NAD, as they convert into this inflammatory state, we can reduce inflammation. And one of the problems with aging, we think, is that the NAD levels of these cells and across the body, they go down with time. Mm. And um, not so much in the bloodstream, but in tissues, we think that the levels of NAD, such as the skin, are, we can measure that, go down about half by the time you're 50. Mm. I don't know about a 60-year-old, but I'm sure you, you're <laughs> looking after your NAD. I'm hopefully, I'm taking yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that, well, that, that, that a, certainly like, is a way to like boost a it. I like to sort of experiment on myself, so I try different things, see how it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. Um, if, if we wait 30 years for this all to be proven, we, we'll be gone by that point. I mean, my, my view is, what's the risk? What's the benefit? What's the cost? What do we know? Like, is there a scientific premise that makes a reasonable explanation of why this should work? Is it safe, right? Does it cost a million dollars or 10 cents? <laughs> And, you know, uh, just some simple metrics right. that allows you to sort of try stuff with, with pretty much impunity. For sure. Well, let, let's get into that because that, that's a good point. Um, the NAD levels are 50%. You get them back up to a young level or even beyond. That's when we see this reversal of aging. So that, I think, it makes sense what you're doing. Of course, we don't have proof yet, but we will. A lot of people are doing IV. Is that better? Uh, I don't know. We ha we've, we've done uh, IP, which is in the gut for mice. Yeah. Uh, I, I've heard a lot about it. Um, I think it makes sense that that, that should work just, yeah. just as well. Uh, but getting back to the risk-reward thing, that, that's really important. So it's a fact that a lot of these molecules are relatively cheap. Um, in the case of metformin, what is it? Less than a dollar a day. It might be a few cents a day for some countries. Okay, so that's not a lot of money. All right, that's, a, that's, that's the cost. What's the risk? Something like metformin has been in probably 100 million yeah. people used for the last 40 years. Yeah. Risk is extremely low. No, there's some side effects like the, gut issues and things, yeah. Exactly, you're a real doctor, I'm just a PhD, but <laughs> I, I, metformin, you can have, you, you know, uh, I think the biggest risk is you'll have an upset stomach, but there can be some severe side effects. You wanna do these, mm -hmm. wanna do these things under medical supervision, do some blood tests. Okay, so now we know the cost, we know the risk. Okay, so I'll just use metformin as an example. Um, the, the downside. What's the upside? Well, the upside is you, you might have a few extra years, maybe another five years of healthy, longer life. That's a pretty good trade-off. Yeah. Um, what I think what most people have trouble 
in the calculation that we just did, and you and I have done this calculation similarly, is what's the risk if I don't do anything? Yeah. All right. But most people are in denial. You know, when you when you're five years old, you realize that everything dies. Your parents, you'll die. It's horrifying. Every kid goes through this, and we we don't remember typically going through this. I remember. You know, it's hor- horrifying. That may be why you you and I do what we do because we have we we haven't forgotten the shock. But uh, I think most of us we don't we don't like to think about this every day. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of guts to think about your loved one's mortality, and it's even worse if you seriously contemplate your own mortality every day. That's mm-hmm. that's brutal. You don't want to do that. But if you if you do think about it at least you know once in a while, that calculation that we just did becomes pretty easy to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty scary what what is going to happen to everybody. It's not pretty. Um, and we're all in denial that this is something that we might be able to do something about. And that's what I'm talking about in the book. Is yeah, that- so so you, this book, Lifespan, The Revolutionary Science of Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To, uh, is is kind of a manifesto for how we can think differently about aging and the things we can actually do to slow or even reverse aging. So why don't you give us the the take-homes from the book about what what, after doing this for 30 years, what you've learned and, and what are the priorities? Because my guess is it's probably not just, you know, taking your supplement and going to McDonald's every day, right? And sitting in front of the TV, watching TV and having, a, you know, cake, right? It's, it's not that. <laughs> it's it's not. And what we've, we've found in our studies and many others around the world, so I've probably read 10,000 studies on this. So if I can synthesize it, which I've done in the book and in my life, um, and I do list what I do daily in, in the book. Yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> uh, so the, the, uh, I won't remember everything. Um, and uh, so you'll have to have to read the book. But one of the, the main take home messages is if there was one thing I could tell people to do, if there was nothing else, it was eat less. Not to an extreme. I think there's there's a lot of mental diseases where people are eating far too little. But if you're a regular person and know how to eat the right no, things. Anorexic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in teenagers don't 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 do this but anyone who's through puberty uh knows how to eat eat the right foods a lot of plants uh not a lot of carbohydrates in my view um get most of your protein from plants occasional meat is fine but i I try to restrict my meat i know there are a lot of carnivores out there yeah joe rogan doesn't like it when i tell him that meat (laughs) might be but you also don't eat carbohydrates so people get confused carbohydrates can be good right so the right ones broccoli is a carbohydrate but yep. so is, you know, a bagel and they're very different. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, and you've spoken a lot about this, so I, I don't need to hammer it too much, but the right carbohydrates for sure. Uh, but yeah, be, be hungry once in a while. So that's, that's the first point. Um, so keep your blood sugar low um, if you can, uh, but not too low because you need your energy. You need to, your brain needs mm. glucose. Uh, another thing I do is I, um, I exercise. Now I'm, always at a keyboard or on my phone. So it's it's hard. So I spend about four hours at the gym uh, on a Sunday with my son, which is does two things. It's fantastic. <laughs> four hours. Yeah. Well, I have to make up for it somehow. Um, I don't think it works like that. <laughs> you don't? <No>. Okay. <laughs> I'm probably wearing out my body. But I, I do a combination of weights uh, and then some aerobic, yeah. some high-impact uh, training, intensity training. And then I also do... Something else that's that I think is becoming more common, which is um, so those are two uh, what I call hormetic, what you would call hormetic 
induces like stresses. Small stress, yeah. Better. Exactly. What doesn't kill you makes you live longer. Yeah. In That's other why words. organic food has more nutrients because the phytochemicals are there to protect it. And then when you have the stress of being organic, which is harder to survive, you actually make more nutrients. Right. So that that was one of the theories that I put out, xenohermesis, the yeah. idea you can get the messages from stress plants and get them for our yeah. body. Yeah. Um, so the other stresses, which we know less about, but I, there's enough data, which I put have put in the book that says this is probably real, is uh, sauna and cold stress. Oh my God, I do that all, all, every day. Really? I have like a steam shower and a sauna and I have an, a big bathtub and I go hot and then go in the ice bath. Fantastic. Hot ice bath. It's like the best thing ever. Well, it'll certainly wake you up and it makes you feel good if nothing else. But the, I've looked into the data. I did a lot of research for the book. And so the cold stress, um, it'll boost your brown fat. Brown fat has a lot of mitochondria, puts out a lot of good molecules. So that's what you so can do. Cryotherapy is not nonsense? I don't think so. Yeah. But, but, you know, there's not, yeah. hasn't been long-term studies, but it makes sense. Um, and well, it, and like my a true Harvard professor, but there's not been long-term studies. Yeah, well, I, ha I, have to, I always have to do that. Uh, you're tenured now. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> I get slapped on the wrist. Uh, but the, 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 what's interesting about it is that the, the brown fat, we didn't know it existed in humans until fairly recently, only a decade ago. But it seems more you have, the better. Mm. And the best way to induce brown fat is to be cold, especially across your back. There's a lot of it back mm. there if you can induce it. The problem is I've found that, at least in animals, the older you get, the harder it is to build up. So you want to start early in life if mm. you can and, and build it up then. The heat stress I looked into, and I was really skeptical that any of this was real. My, yeah. my wife told me about saunas. I went, come on, that that can't be good for you. But you look, and actually there's a lot of studies in Helsinki. Mm -hmm. Of uh, course. Yeah, well, they're, they're selling the, the saunas. So they, they, they've done a lot of research. So thousands of Finnish men mostly have been studied. And in, in those studies, it's pretty clear that men who go to the sauna a few times a week have less cardiovascular disease mm -hmm. risk and heart attacks. Now, there's one caveat which they actually admit in one of the papers is that people who are sick or in hospital don't go to the sauna as often. Mm -hmm. So there's that caveat. But I, I looked at the data. To me, it looks like it could be real. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. do both. And, and, it, not, and it does increase the uh, resiliency of your cardiovascular system and something called heart rate variability improves and heart failure patients do better uh -huh. when they actually go in saunas. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, these are the stresses that I do on my body. Um, I take a gram of resveratrol in the morning with a mm. tiny bit of homemade yogurt, not, not a lot of food, but uh, I found that there's a type of yogurt that's, that's really great, it, um, for me at least. Like wine yogurt now with the resveratrol? <laughs> well, uh, I, I don't know if, 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 uh, if you want me to talk about actual products, but uh, there is one out there that, that I use and make it. it it's pretty tasty. Uh, the resveratrol dissolves in the yogurt. That's the important part. Yeah. Um, if you just take a dry pellet of resveratrol, yeah. most of it won't be absorbed, uh -huh. and that's the problem. Uh, I take uh, metformin, a um, couple of them, a gram. Oh, wow. Sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night, depending on how I feel. I don't do well on metformin. It's actually pretty rough on my yeah. stomach. So I try you don't really need it. <laughs> no, not if you do the other things. Yeah, well, <laughs> probably, yeah. probably. I'm, I'm, try I'm trying to see on my body, what works, what doesn't. Yeah. It's an experiment in progress. Uh, what else do I do? So at night, uh, I take the usual things. I take CoQ10. I take a statin. You'll probably frown on that. But I, I had very high cholesterol when I was a kid. Uh, I started on a statin when I was 29. Wow. And my grandmother had a stroke when she was in her 30s. So 
I have really bad Ashkenazi genes. you're not worried genes. about the mitochondrial effects of statins? I am. Um, but I'm also worried about really high cholesterol up in the high 200s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I had to do something. I'd like to go off the statin. That would be probably the best thing I could try. Well, there's experiments you can do where you can change your diet, change your lifestyle, do different things, stop it, see where you do, restart it, check your particle size yeah, number. I mean, those exactly. are all relevant. Right, right. I also have another bad gene on particle size, so I'm, I'm not destined to live long unless I do something. Uh, plant sterols, I'm, I'm trying that to see if I can use those to replace the statins. But CoQ10 is good, um, and I take... Um, actually, alpha lipoic acid yeah, for mitochondria. Right? Yeah, and one of the actually the thing that turned me onto that was uh, I spoke to Denham Harmon's family. So yeah. Denham Harmon, you may know him. He's but, the father of the oxidative stress theory of aging. Yeah, and and so he, I, I was fortunate to win an award with his name on it, and I went out there, and his family were very generous to host me. And he was still alive at the time. He passed away a few years ago, but he was still healthy and going into work at 92. And so I said, what is, what's his secret? Oh, lipoic acid. Uh-huh. And I, I thought, well, at the very least, it didn't hurt him. So again, you know, that, that I, I take it every day. Yeah. It's, it's, if you understand what it does, it's basically one of the most powerful antioxidants that helps boost glutathione, which is detoxifier. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps your mitochondria. It helps detoxify from metals. It, it's sort of a... Uh, helps with blood sugar and diabetics. It helps with diabetic neuropathy. I mean, it's a really yeah. well-studied molecule. Right. Yeah, and it's all about the mitochondria. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I would say that too. The The other thing that I, I should point out is, um, so I monitor myself fairly regularly. Um, and I'm not crazy about it. I don't like having my blood drawn often. But, you know, I'm, I'm looking at myself with rings. I've got the watch. I've got the blood drawers. If something goes out of whack and I change my diet or I do something, I'll know about it. I measure through inside tracker you, others can do that yeah about 34 different things and you know I'm, I'm adding things i'm subtracting them like you I, I know if something's going wrong so i just had a blood test because i'm going to africa and uh i sat down with a with the nurse actually yesterday and she took me through my blood test yeah and she went perfect perfect better than perfect better perfect. and so she said and you're turning 50 and you've got those blood markers yeah she goes i'm jealous I said, what do you think? And she goes, just keep doing what you're doing. Right. 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 So I think that's, that's the proof yeah. that, that uh, we're not hurting ourselves and we will know it if we were. Yeah. Uh, so, maybe long term, you don't know. So what does it look like 10, 20, 50 years from now in terms of aging? I mean, I'm, you know, turning 60. I'm like, what's going to happen in the next 20, 30 years in this aging research? And what's coming on the horizon that's going to help me live long and meet my great grandchildren? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, so. Uh, I've been blown because away. Because it's all about me after year. all, right? <laughs> I just want to live longer. Well, sure. I mean, if, if, if we're all honest, we don't, we don't want to get sick. And we do want to see what the future mm-hmm. looks like, most of us. Mm-hmm. Well, so the last 10 years have been remarkable. Just made my head spin. We can, we can challenge and test hypotheses in a week, things that used to take a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, 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 we now have these hallmarks of aging that we've all in the field agreed on, cause aging, mitochondrial dysfunction, telomeres. Uh, we've heard them all pretty much, senescent cells I mentioned. Uh, there's been a new change, um, and it, it's, we're undergoing a new paradigm shift. And it's, it's, a, it's a theory that I put in the book called the information, information theory. theory of aging. Yeah. And the idea is that all of these hallmarks actually are manifested by a loss of cellular information from when we, when we were young. Mm. And essentially what that means is that our genomes, which have the digital information in our bodies are largely intact. It's the reason we can reverse mitochondrial aging pretty quickly in an old mouse. 
it still has the information to do that in its genome. The problem is that we have this other type of information called the epigenome, which is the next layer of, inf of information that controls the digital. Yeah. So it's similar to a DVD player. Uh, the the information's on the disc, but the ability to read the songs at the right time degrades yeah. uh, over time. And so the epigenome gets uh, less and less accurate. And it, it's similar to scratching the DVD and you can't read the genes at the right time. Yeah. You can't read the songs. And what I've been questioning uh, or at least curious about for the last 10 years and uh, what's funny, let me just tell you something, Mark, as a, as a secret uh, <laughs> with millions of people is that um, I've been so busy. I haven't written a lot of these ideas down in scientific publications. Uh -huh. I've been working on the book. Yeah. So it could be that the world will be able to read about all this science before a scientist do, which uh -huh. is very unusual. Uh -huh. um, we are about to uh, submit these. So what, am I, what is the idea? Is that if you scratch the CD, do you end up with premature aging? And we've done that now in a mouse. We can actually do that. We can mess up the epigenome and the mice get rapidly old, and they actually we can measure their age now. We've mm -hmm. got what's called the epigenetic clock or the Horvath clock, named after Steve Horvath. Mm -hmm. And we can do that. I could take your blood uh, and measure your biological age very accurately. Mm. Okay, I'm coming in. We should both, <laughs> both do that. I haven't done it yet for myself. Uh, but those mice, we can accelerate their actual age. They're not mm. just looking old, they're old. Mm. Uh, and so that's the scratch DVD. The question is, is there a way to polish that and get back the ability to read our genomes correctly like we were young again? Mm -hmm. And I think we've figured out a way to do that. And that's what, what uh, we're working on. We have this, I can't say too much because I'll scoop not only the book, but my publications, but we've got this combination of genes that tells the cell how to be young again and reverse that clock of aging, the epigenetic clock, and polish the CD. And one of the things that's been remarkable is that if we take an organ or, an, or a part of the body that normally would never get young, never would regenerate. And we chose the hardest thing of all, which is the eye. Mm. We looked at old eyes or damaged optic nerves. We can actually damage them or glaucoma. These are things that right now you just can't reverse. You're yeah. lucky if you can slow them down. If we give our reprogramming treatment, um, and it's, it is a gene therapy currently, we put it in the eye. And old mice can see like they were young again within just a few weeks of treatment. Like Jesus. <laughs> well, yeah, like it's funny. See, right? <laughs> well, I, I went, when we discovered this, um, and I have to give full credit to my collaborators at Harvard who actually do this. I don't know how to do it, but they're experts. I went home and said to my family, we, we've cured blindness in old mice. You know, <laughs> who cares? <laughs> right. My kids went, uh, yeah, that's fine. Um, can you set the table? And my wife goes, oh, no, first, can you? empty the dishwasher <laughs> come on jesus got respect what's going on yeah. uh, but it's yeah. it's early days but i think that we've we've well, cracked a big one is that we don't don't just slightly reverse aging we might actually truly reprogram the body this is so exciting so all these ideas are in your book lifespan the revolutionary science of why we age and why we don't have to i encourage everybody to get a copy because it's not just about aging it turns out it's about how to create health which will help you with all the diseases you have regardless of whether you care about aging or not which is kind of the sort of silver lining in the whole thing is as we're discovering the magic of how to solve aging we're actually solving all the other things as well exactly and it's a glimpse into where we've been where we are right now what you can do and what the future looks like so exciting I'm, I'm glad we're living today and i'm not living a thousand years ago and that david you're around doing the science and helping us understand how to live well and live longer and die young as late as possible 
So thank you for being on The Doctor's Pharmacy. If you love this show, please share with your friends and family on social media. We'd love to hear from you. Please leave a comment and you can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time on The Doctor's Pharmacy. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Mark Hyman. So two quick things. Number one, thanks so much for listening to this week's podcast. It really means a lot to me. If you love the podcast, I'd really appreciate you sharing with your friends and family. Second, I want to tell you about a brand new newsletter I started called Mark's Picks. Every week, I'm going to send out a list of a few things that I've been using to take my own health to the next level. This could be books, podcasts, research that I found, supplement recommendations, recipes, or even gadgets. I use a few of those. And if you'd like to get access to this free weekly list, all you have to do is visit drhyman.com forward slash picks. That's drhyman.com forward slash picks. I'll only email you once a week, I promise, and I'll never send you anything else besides my own recommendations. So just go to drhyman.com forward slash picks, that's P-I-C-K-S, to sign up free today. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their Find a Practitioner database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, who's a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.